0: Welcome to Parker's MMA Show. If you want to learn about all things going down in the fight world, you've come to the right place. Each episode, your host, Parker Keen will take a deeper dive into the always entertaining world of sanctioned fist fighting. Now here's your host, Parker Keen.
1: Billy, we're back. What's up, dude? We're back. It's a sugar-shawn fight week. Got my gloves ready, ready to rock. What's going on? What's new?
0: Hey, man, I think, uh, you know, now is uh, as good a time as ever to bring up my boy, Genki Sudo. Hashtag, we are all one. That guy guy was ahead of his time, man. Absolutely, absolutely love that. I think it's more relevant today than ever.
1: True that. Everyone be nice to each other. Love each other. Just be better people.
0: All right, that's all we're
1: going to say about that. We're not going to bring it down with the chaos of the world. We're here to talk about fights. And we got a big fight card coming up this weekend, so let's get right into it. This is episode 38, Parker's MMA show. Co-host Billy Naden across from me. Um, Housekeeping rules, as always. Everyone, please like, subscribe, and you know, give us some love. When you're giving the rest of the world some love, give Parker's MMA some love. Um, All right, so, Billy, let's get into it. Episode 38, we've got, um, we're going to cover Tyron Woodley's Fight last weekend against Gilbert Burns, UFC fight night. Um the first card back at the apex. And then we got a giant card this weekend, UFC two fifty with Amanda Nunes taking on Felicia Spencer at the top. And then we're gonna do a little bit of John Jones talk and we'll get out of here. We'll try to keep this to forty five minutes to an hour. We're gonna move on through it. Billy, let's get started. So last week, Tyron Woodley's burst Gilbert Burns, Gilbert Burns surging prospect, um, you know, had just moved up from lightweight and been on a roll at Welterweight. Man, he put on a show. The dude put on a show.
0: Yeah, I mean he uh we both picked Tyron Woodley in that one and uh Ty- Tyron got absolutely destroyed. I mean, Ty- it was not a competitive fight at at really any point in my opinion. Um and and you know, I I think the the tendency here because Tyron was champion for so long is to really talk about, you know, how bad he looked, but I mean, all all hats off to Gilbert Burns. I mean, the guy is good everywhere. He's world-class on the ground. He took down Tyron Woodley. He knocked down Tyron Woodley in the first round. I mean, nobody has put on a performance like that against Tyron. I I really thought Gilbert looked incredible.
1: Yeah. I mean, from start to finish, um, he looked incredible. I think he answered a lot of the questions that were lingering out there about where he's at in the elite of the welterweight division. So, yeah. Huge night for him. Um, for Tyron Woodley, he's essentially lost 10 dominant rows, rounds in a row in his last two fights. He got completely shut out against Kamaru Usman, lost his belt, makes a return about a year later and a lot of the same. So for Tyron Woodley, where does he go from here?
0: Yeah, I would say I'd argue he's lost 10 rounds in a row, including two of those being 10-8 rounds. And this is coming off what I think is the best performance of his career against Darren Till. Um, so kind of bizarre honestly and and you start to wonder if you know there's the hunger is there or if he feels like you know kind of content with what he's accomplished in his MMA career which you know UFC champion, Strike Force champion, you know won everything that you can win. I'd argue he is probably the third best welterweight to ever fight in the UFC behind GSP and Matt Hughes in terms of accomplishments. Um, you know, I I I think there's options for Tyron, though, if he wants to keep going. Um, you know, he seemed kind of oddly at peace with the loss, um, which, you know, never a good sign to me. When a guy, when you're not upset about losing a fight like that in such a lopsided manner, I, I just, I think there's a, there's a level of fire, there's a level of the chip on your shoulder that you need to be successful in MMA. But I, I, th- my top three fights that I would look at for Tyron if, if he wants to fight again, I mean, the number one that's always going to be there, in my opinion, in terms of having heat is uh, Tyron Woodley against Colby Covington. I mean, Colby's split from ATT. You know, we haven't seen him since losing to Usman. We don't really know what a Colby Covington that's not at a big training camp looks like. I think, you know, we underestimate kind of the the expertise that Dan Lambert could have brought there. And, you know, he gets a chance with something that has a lot of bad blood against Tyron. I think the Leon Edwards fight is still good to go if if Leon still wants that fight. I, I still think Leon could could really build his name off a Tyron Woodley win or Woodley could get right back on track. And then the third is kind of a wild card, but it's been booked before, the Robbie Lawler rematch. Obviously, Tyron, you know, not out quickly uh Robbie's coming off a couple losses in a row Tyron's coming off a couple losses in a row both absolute legends of the welterweight division um so I think that could be a good fight um but there's obviously there's other guys in the mix RDA Jeff Neal Michael Chiesa that all could potentially fight Tyron Woodley next it would make sense matchmaking wise and um you know I think it would be a good fight for for either guy
1: yeah what worries me is he just doesn't seem there mentally he seems there Physically, I mean, he looks great. He seems like he's got all the tools to do it, but he just there's something something wrong. He just can't pull the trigger. He's not. He just doesn't seem like he has that kind of ruthless mental edge. I mean, he 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 got by and defended the title what four times on you know viciously knocking people out and you know being able to go forward. And there's just none of that. It's just like there's no motivation. So I wonder if a you know a fight against Colby, someone who's he's got a lot of heat with for you know, three to four years would be something that would get him motivated because the Tyron Woodley I saw against Usman, it looked like, you know, it may have been an off night. The Tyron Woodley, when that happens twice in a row and you know, happened against Gilbert Burns, a guy on the rise that, you know, is not a huge name, he just didn't look motivated. So <clears throat> that scares me. I, I think if you're gonna go in there and not be motivated against the you know world class fighters in that division, which is one of the best divisions in MMA.
0: That's a dangerous spot to put yourself in. So for me, I, you know, I, I agree with you that something mentally appears kind of off, right? Like it, it doesn't look like the same Tyron Woodley mentally, whereas like, it does look like the same Tyron Woodley physically. Yeah. It looks, like... looks great. And when he, he looks explodes
1: great. in those small moments, he explodes. He looks so dangerous, but there was just too little of it. There was, there was like zero aggression. It, it was. So very, let me ask you this. Very then. weird.
0: Like, Do we think it's, to me, that motivation, if it was like, Tyron Woodley doesn't want this anymore, wouldn't that show up in training? Like, wouldn't he show up looking a little puffy, looking a step behind? Like, that's what I would think. I think that's the motivation part. I I almost feel like Tyron's getting, like, stage fright. Or when he gets on the big moment, he just, he gets in that cage and he no longer, like, wants to win the fight. Like, it's almost like the moment gets to him of being in the cage because he seems motivated. Like, he seems like he's training hard for these fights. Like, that, to me, is, shows someone who, who is motivated to go out there and win. It's just it doesn't translate on the fight night. That's what's so strange to me.
1: Yeah, it's very bizarre. So um, I wanted to ask you this. What, what chance, if any, do you see in uh, Tyron Woodley moving up to middleweight, maybe just shaking it up, you know, moving to a new weight class? you know, a new goal in mind. I, I honestly, I really do think he has all the skills to compete with the top five-ish at middleweight. Um, so what are your thoughts on that? I,
0: I, I mean, I think, honestly, like, first of all, he's still considered a top five welterweight, even after the loss. In the rankings, he's still a top five welterweight. There's going to be a lot of guys calling for his name. My thing about him moving up to middleweight, it's not about him being competitive. I don't think it gives him. I don't think middleweight is less competitive than welterweight at the top. I think middleweight is just as crowded with guys who, because he would have to basically take a step down. He would have to fight, you know, Chris Weidman, Jack Hermanson, um, those kind of guys. And you still have Whitaker and Cannoneer and Gastelum who would be above you, who, you know, you're looking at being, you know, even if you win your first fight at middleweight, you're what, sixth or seventh? I mean, they're not going to give him you know, one fight at middleweight and then the title shot. Right. So I think he, he's two fights. You know, if he won two in a row against top guys at welterweight, I think he could still get a title shot at welterweight. And I think it's, you know, it's even more fights he would have to fight at middleweight. So I just don't see the advantage there of him going up. Though I do, th- I agree with you that he would be competitive. I mean, he's a big welterweight. He's just not tall. Yeah,
1: that no, is bizarre. But, um, you know, as bad... And as lackluster of a performance as T Wood put on, um, I I totally agree with you. I think it was also a case of Gilbert Burns looked incredible. The dude, he does everything well. His his striking has gotten unbelievable. Uh, man, he does everything well. He he's going to be a very very big problem because no one in that division wants to take him down. His jiu jitsu cr- credentials are, you know, probably the best in the UFC right now. Maybe outside of what Damian Maya. So it's not like you want to take this guy down
0: i think burns has better jujitsu credentials like his resume is i think better than damian mayas is actually
1: yeah and i mean it seems like ever since he got how long has he been with henry hoofd they i heard a lot made about that um you know just the evolution that his striking game has taken on because that dude he's
0: a dangerous fighter you if you look at the how about his striking defense parker like How many times during that fight did we watch Tyron Woodley try and throw one of his patented right-hand bombs that he lands? Tyron Woodley lands that punch in every fight. In every fight he's ever had, he's landed that punch. And Gilbert Burns made a miss over and over and over again. Tyron missed with that right hand a dozen times in that fight because Gilbert Burns was able to manage that distance so well. And he was hitting Tyron no problem.
1: Yeah, so I guess Gilbert Burns steps in as the number one Contender behind Usman now, so my point is, I mean, you look at the top five. You've got Woodley, who he just dominated. Leon Edwards, who you know, I think their strikings even. George Masvidal, striking's relatively even. Colby, his striking's oh, see, even with.
0: That's where I disagree. I think Masvidal so? is a world's better striker. Than... Okay, so I,
1: I'll give you Masvidal, but you look at Leon Edwards, Colby Covington, Usman. I think Gilbert Burns is a better striker striker than all of those guys and no one wants to take him down you go to the ground with that dude you're gonna get finished so this guy's this guy's dangerous he's he's not a, a huge name yet but he's very very dangerous creeping into that and top here's
0: five. He, here's what's gonna end up happening with him like i actually think this helps masvidal because you know who sure as hell does not want to fight gilbert usman. burns kamar usman yeah yeah and they're there's the no...
1: thing yeah they're teammates as well but i you know i I don't think he wants that fight after saying what, what he just did to Woodley.
0: And Gilbert Burns being respectful about it in the post-fight interview, but you know if he's saying, like, I want Kamar Usman, I like the guy, he's a good guy, but I want his belt, Gilbert Burns knows what happens in the gym when they spar. He knows what happens. They both know what happens. Like, he's not calling for that fight like that. He's not saying, like, look, we had our back and forth, blah, 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 blah. He's saying, like, no, like, I know I'm going to take this guy's belt. I know I can beat him. They, you know, they've had those moments. It's like, you know, like Bisping knew he could beat Rockhold because they had sparred before. And he, and he knew he was better than him. He knew the tells. Like, right. that's how I feel about Gilbert Burns and Kamaru Usman. Like, I would be so worried. I'd be, I signed the Jorge Masvidal title fight tomorrow and hope that the UFC forces Gilbert to fight Leon Edwards in hopes that, I, you know, I get him out of the way if I'm Usman.
1: Yeah, Gilbert Burns, if he gets one more fight before the year's the year's over, I don't see how you can't make a case for him being the fighter of the year. He's fought twice during the pandemic. He's basically shot his way through the welterweight rankings, took out, dominated a former champion. If he gets one more win against Leon Edwards or Colby, I mean, that dude's on pace for being fighter of the year and the whole company. So very, very impressive. Um that leads me into my next question. Well, what do you think how does this play into the matchmaking at welterweight for the next you know, three to four months.
0: Yeah, so here's how I would match it up if I was the UFC. I book Masvidal Usman tomorrow. The fact that this has taken so long is absurd. Um, you know, I think Abe Kawa tweeted yesterday underneath Jorge Masvidal saying it shouldn't be this hard to get a deal done. Abe Kawa kind of insinuated that Ali, uh, Abdelaziz, and Kamaru Usman are the ones who are you know, holding it up and asking for more money. But that fight needs to be booked. You know, Masvidal deserves the title shot. Uh, they have real heat there. It's it needs to be booked. Uh, I would do I would do Leon Edwards against Gilbert Burns. I think it's a fascinating fight. I think it's two really well balanced fighters, two guys who are on rolls, who are you know their names don't carry a ton of value right now, but um, you know I, I really like that fight. And then I book Woodley against Colby Covington, and I just let these guys kind of kind of ride it out and. You know, if it's three losses in a row for for Tyron, then, um, you know, I, I think he starts thinking about retirement, um, to be honest. And, you know, if if Colby loses, you know, nobody's going to be upset, especially not the uh, the Tyron fans out there.
1: Yeah. And Gilbert Burns, I mean, he could turn around in September and fight. He could even fight International Fight Week. So you could make a huge fight card with him and Edwards. And then I agree. I, I think we're going to see miles Vidal Uzman booked in the next week or so. Um I heard Mosvidalv on Ariel's show basically saying that yeah, Usman's trying to command ridiculous money that he just he doesn't deserve. I think out of 2019, the Nate and Jorge Mosvidalv pay-per-view was the highest selling one. The Colby and Usman one was one of the lowest ones. Um so uh, just some money there, you know, you got to be realistic with what you can command, but uh I think they'll get that worked out. So all right. Um what do we got next? Let's move on to the rest of the card. Um, It was honestly, it was some fun fights. There was, you know, a lot of kind of no name up and coming guys that, you know, a lot of people haven't heard about, but we had a lot of fun fights. Um, I like that. A lot of Daniel finishes. W- yeah, a lot of finishes. And I, I think we're going to see a lot more of that with the 25 foot cage. And I think people are just, they know a lot of eyes are on it. They're going to be going for it. And that 25 foot cage makes a huge difference in the action, I think, in the fight. So
0: Um, Oh, it rocks! So I love watching the twenty-five foot cage.
1: Oh, it's awesome! So some of my standouts I listed. I had um, D. Rod Daniel Rodriguez. um, That dude's fun to watch. Every one of his fights in the UFC has been super fun to watch. He trains with Cowboy and Joe Schilling. uh, Lives at the BMF Ranch. Uh, That dude's someone to watch out for anytime he's fighting. Definitely tune in. Uh, Very snappy kick. Yes, Chris. Chris Gutierrez that was one of the worst leg kick beatings I've ever seen in my life That was brutal that was up there with Jose Aldo Uriah favor. That's one of the worst ones that I've ever ever seen um, Mackenzie Dern looked incredible she, in her return. She looked sharp. She's very aggressive and when that fight hits the ground she's getting a finish so Hey, I think sh- watch
0: out for that yeah. leg lock game coming to MMA. This is now two two weeks in a row we had a leg lock or a foot lock or an ankle lock. You know, Tiago Moises last week got Michael Johnson with the straight ankle. And Mackenzie Derns out here snapping ACLs. I mean, it, watch out for this leg lock game starting to come into MMA now because it's kind of taking over jiu-jitsu. A lot of the Danaher guys are you know making a lot of money in the jiu-jitsu world using the leg lock, and it hadn't made its way to MMA, this is going to really even the game between the jujitsu guys versus the wrestlers, I think.
1: Yeah, she looked really sharp, I, and I think she's she kind of made a statement that, hey, she's back in the 115 class, and she's going to be a problem. Um, Alright, one of my favorite fights of the night, you had Billy Q taking on Crazy Spike. Uh, Crazy this Spike is may- the greatest
0: fight of all time.
1: <laughs> Crazy Spike may be my new favorite fighter outside of Eon uh, Kuntalaba, but what a, what a fucking freak show fight. That was crazy from start to finish.
0: I don't know why you're calling him crazy, Spike Parker. He has the best nickname I've ever heard in my life. The Alpha Ginger. That's pretty awesome. <laughs> Unbelievable. <laughs> He's got the ginger cornrows, comes out like a bat out of hell, like drop kicks the guy right off the bat. Like, I mean, one of the most ridiculous, just Unbelievable three rounds I've ever seen. Uh, Billy Quarantillo, man, that guy is very good on the ground. Tough. Yeah, he looks like
1: a I don't know, like he just won a science fair or something. That dude is. He looks like a straight up dork, but he's he looks like a red
0: lobster waiter.
1: (laughs) Yes, he was. He was taking a beating, and he just kept coming forward. And he's tough. That was a great fight. Um, all in all, I thought it was a great fight. I wanted to see. How do you or how did you compare, you know, the three previous Florida events to
0: the first one at the Apex in Nevada? I thought it was much better in Nevada. Um, You know, I think the UFC, first of all, actually followed its own coronavirus protocols, right? We didn't have in-cage interviews. Everyone was distanced. You know, masks at face-offs, all that kind of thing. Um, So I think at the very least, that kind of will quell the media concerns. you know, it didn't didn't stop John Oliver from beefing with Dana White this week, but um, you know, I, I think I think they're doing pretty much everything they can with the reasonable amount of risk to these fighters. And I think it just goes much smoother at the apex. I love the twenty five foot cage. I, I'm so for that for basically every fight. Um unless it's like, you know, an Adesanya Silva main event where I just wanna see these guys spin all over the cage like I love the twenty five foot cage. And then I thought it I thought it translated much better to TV in the Apex. I thought it, you know they were able to do you know it's a TV studio. It's built to do that. Uh, um you know it's it it doesn't it's not built for fans the way the Jacksonville Arena is. So um I I really appreciated that about the broadcast. I just thought it went uh, much smoother. It was much you know kind of easier to watch, easier on the eyes in my opinion.
1: Yeah, I think they're in their groove now. This will be their fifth event, really their sixth event if you ca- if you count uh Brasilia, but I think they've kind of worked through the kinks. They're going to have it figured out with Nevada. I think Nevada's going to make sure they do it, you know, the right way. And then I, I I totally agree with you. I think the presentation and everything was just it was a lot more intimate and I enjoyed it. I I really thought it was awesome. Um I'm really looking forward to this week's card. So let's get into this this week's card. Um UFC 250 um las vegas going down this weekend main event we've got women's featherweight champion um amanda Nunes taking on felicia spencer we've got in the co-main event rafael asansal taking on cody garbrand who's been he's on a three-fight losing streak really really needs a win here and then we've got um Algermain sterling versus cory sanhagen which to me is a people's main event this is a this is a great fight this is Probably the fight I'm looking forward to the most. Um, at Welterweight, you've got a fun fight. Neil Magny taking on Anthony Rocco Martin. Um, that should be a bang, freaking banger. Both of those guys fight at a very high pace. Very, very tough guys. Very skilled guys. And then the Sugar Show's back. Sugar Sean O'Malley coming back. Opening up the main card. Taking on former WEC champion Eddie Wineland. Uh, really, really excited for that. So that the main card is absolutely stacked. I I love that main card, and let's get right into it. So, in the main event, we've got Amanda Nunes, who's now on a 10-fight winning streak, taking on Felicia Spencer. Um, Felicia Spencer was a former Invicta 145 champ. Her really only pro loss is to Chris Cyborg, Um, you know, tough fighter. What are your initial thoughts on this fight?
0: Yeah, I think um, I think Felicia is is really game. Actually, I, I, I think she is absolutely the number one contender at 145. This is not like um, if you remember when they first started the division, you know, with Cyborg, they would it seemed like they would kind of like pluck these women off the street, like who is willing to fight Chris Cyborg. Felicia Spencer has earned her position here, and you know, from a from a fighting standpoint, she's earned that position because she's a phenomenal wrestler. She's a a one, a true 145 pounder. She uses her weight. She, she has great takedowns. She gets fights to the ground and she uses her ground and pound to finish fights, or she gets submissions after she's softened up her opponent a bit. Um, You know, if, and if she's going to win this fight, it's going to be on the ground. She has to get this fight to the ground. You know, on the flip side, if Amanda's going to win this fight, it has to be about the striking. you know, Amanda is a world's better striker than Felicia. Felicia's a bit of a brawler. She throws some, you know, winging hooks. She tries to get inside. She basically uses her her boxing to set up her wrestling. Not a big kicker. Uh, we know Amanda Nunes is among the best Muay Thai practitioners of Emmy, any female fighter ever. Um, so for her, for her to win this, I mean, she's really got to beat up Felicia on the on the feet and and kind of keep it there because. I think just the, the weight and the top pressure of Felicia Spencer, I think if she gets a takedown early, she'll be able to hold Amanda down for at least a round if she's able to do that.
1: Yeah, I agree. I, I see this fight going into the later rounds. Um, you know, I, I think Felicia Spencer's super tough. I agree with you. I think she's gonna use her grappling. She's gonna try to maybe get Amanda up against the fence, make it kind of a dirty fight, not give her the space to strike. Um but at the end of the day, I I've said this a million times. I don't think anyone is touching Amanda Nunes right now, period. Um, unless Henry Cejudo comes out and fights her, <laughs> I don't see anyone touching her. Um, I think it's going to be a tough fight. You know, she had a tough fight in her last fight against, um, Jermaine Duran, who GDR. Was
0: Jermaine Durand. to me.
1: Yeah. That got a little deep. And I mean, you saw Amanda has what it takes to pull through and, and get the W, but, um, I, I think she's going to get a finish here. I'm I'm going with Amanda third round TKO finish. Um, you know I I I think Felicia will weather the early storm, but I think it's going to be too much with her striking.
0: Yeah, I uh, you know, look if Amanda Nunes ends up knocking out Felicia Spencer, I won't be surprised. I, I'm gonna take I'm gonna take Amanda by decision here. I think Felicia's tough as nails. I I think she has taken some real you know if you go back and watch the cyborg fight, I mean. She takes an absolute beating from cyborg and and just keeps coming forward um and i I think she'll be able to use her grappling more against Amanda than she did against cyborg. Amanda's not as big as cyborg um you know not that Amanda doesn't have amazing grappling and takedown defense and all that, but you know I, I I think Felicia will get a takedown in this fight um and i I just see Amanda winning by decision, but i i really I hope this is at least a showcase for Felicia Spencer. Because she is a really tough fighter. She's a really deserving fighter. And, you know, it's tough to see someone come up against such a dominant champion who's so good and kind of be, you know, uh, like labeled as, you know, a can or, you know, just kind of a walkover opponent when Felicia Spencer is decidedly not that type of fighter.
1: Yeah, no, I agree. So, all right, so we're both going with Amanda. What what do you think is next for Amanda after this fight?
0: Ooh, uh... Uh, you know, I, I think they're. I I think they put Amanda on the shelf for at least a little bit. Uh, you know, after this fight, and you have to let some of the things sort themselves out at at 135. Um, you know, I think like that GDR Holly Holm generation of fighter. Um, kind of got to fight the Aspen lads of the world, and you know, I know GDR already fought her. I'd like to see Lad fight Holly Holm. Um. And just see if, if there's a younger generation of bantamweight that can come through or, you know, you give the old veterans a, another crack at it. I mean, Amanda's cleared out the division in two divisions. There's not a whole lot of options left at this point. Um, and, you know, there's nowhere for her to go up unless you're going to, you know, put her in the PFL tournament or something.
1: Yeah. Kayla Harrison or a rematch with Cyborg. Um, I I kind of think Megan Anderson will be next. Um you know, but outside of that, I I agree. I think you got to kind of let those two divisions play themselves out. See if anyone rises to the top, and then you know try to sell another Amanda fight. Because if she goes in here and just starches Felicia Fisher, Spencer, sorry, um, yeah, I mean, I'm not clamoring for her to fight any of the, these other girls right away. So, um, all right, we both got Amanda. Let's move on. Um, the co-main event. We've we've got Cody No Love, um, Garbrandt making his return against um, a Sun Uh This is very similar to how I saw Tyron Woodley last week. Um, even worse. I mean, Cody is, he's a guy, young guy, still he's 28 years old, former champion. Um, you know, his performance against Dominic Cruz was probably one of the top five, top 10 performances I've ever seen live. Um, I put that up there with like Conor vs. Eddie Alvarez. There was just something special about him in that fight and since then we haven't seen it you know he's got reckless in all of his fights and honestly almost all three of the fights I thought that stages he was winning the fight and dominating the fight and hurt his opponent but he just got dumb and got reckless and rushed in and got finished in all three of those fights twice against TJ and one against Pedro Munoz so Cody's kind of worked himself into a pretty big hole here um this is a giant crossroads fight for for Cody what do you think
0: yeah, I agree with you. I mean, it, it it's funny like Cody really and Aaron Pico are kind of on similar trajectories for me. Um Cody Garbrandt to me, I mean, when he won that title against uh Dominic Cruz in in 2016, I I've I agree with you. Like that is one of the best performances I've ever seen in an MMA cage. And and his rise, I remember watching him on Fight Nights coming up like, you know, knocking dudes out in under 30 seconds over and over and over again. I mean, his fight with Thomas Almeida, if you want to get hyped up for this weekend, go watch that fight. Um, you know, especially the way that those two were just knocking everybody out. And it was thought to be this super violent fight. And then Cody just comes in and, and puts him to sleep. Um, I, I think he's got the best boxing of anyone in the UFC. I, I think he's got all the natural talent in the world. He has great takedown defense. Like you said, he was winning. I would argue he was winning the first TJ fight and the Pedro Munoz fight right up until the moment he got knocked out. Right. Um, I
1: I was there for the I was there live for the first TJ fight and in that first round he was fucking TJ up and then he got clipped and when he gets clipped his game plan kind of goes out the window and he gets a little reckless and you can't afford to do that against the most elite fighters in the world or you're gonna go to sleep. I don't I don't care who you are. So that, that's kind of with Cody, for me, it's all mental. It's just mental. He's got all mental.
0: Yeah. And I mean, this guy, look, he is tough as nails. This is a guy who's like, what, five, 135 pounds. He played middle linebacker at a large high school in Ohio and had over a hundred tackles his senior season of high school playing like real Ohio high school football at five, eight, 135 pounds. Like, this guy's tough as nails. I mean, he just is. Like, and he's like you said, he's got everything from an athletic perspective. And I, I, I really think that I, I, this is a guy who he could get knocked out ten times in a row. And based off of that rise to that cruise performance, I will never give up on Cody Garbrandt as a fighter because I, I just think he's that naturally talented. He's that good when he's not, you know, being reckless.
1: Yeah. No, um, that's the biggest thing I'm going to be looking for. Just how how is he mentally? And I think this is a fighter in particular that not having a crowd may benefit because maybe he'll be able to keep that cool, just that calm, collected air about him. Um, I think he is a guy that he gets in there, he gets clipped or he clips the guy and he just wants to brawl. And I think he feeds off that energy. He likes to hear the roar of the crowd. And if that's not there, maybe... You know, he can clear his head, just stick to the game plan and do what he needs to do to get a win, because that's what he needs here. He needs a win. Bottom line. So
0: um, tell us a little bit about Sun Tso. That's that's what's hard, right, is a Sun is almost this master at frustrating his opponent. You know, he's kind of this jack of all trades, master of none. He, you know, he's not like he doesn't have one skill that's so much better than all the others. Um but he's, you know, really crisp Mu- Muay Thai. He's good on the ground. He has good wrestling. Um, you know, he has great movement. Like he's always, you know, he's he's great at fighting off his back foot. That's what he's so good at as a fighter, and that's so frustrating when you're swinging and missing, and he's kind of peppering you with these one two shots, one two shots, and then comes with a high kick, and you know, before you know it, you're getting outstruck and you're losing a lopsided decision. I mean, that's the kind of fighter Rafael Sunsau is. So, I mean, Cody's naturally going to push the pace, but he needs to make sure he's landing when he's pushing that pace. That's going to be the key for me to watch is, you know, is is Sunsau able to make Garbrandt miss? Is he able to wear him out? Is he able to frustrate him? Because, you know, if you just t- put these guys' feet in cement and let them slug it out, Cody Garbrandt's going to win. But... If Rafael Assuncao can move around and wear him out and, and really, you know, kind of piss him off in there, a Assuncao I could see coming away with, you know, an easy 30-27 decision um, with Cody just kind of wondering what happened.
1: Yeah. All right. So prediction, um, I'm going to go with Cody. I, I think he's going to come in there. He's had a long layoff, Um, set a lot of time to sort it out, make changes to his game. And like I said at the top, he's still a young dude. I mean, he's only 28 years old. He's got another, you know, four to five years in this division at world-class level of fighting. So I I think he's just a guy. He's got, like you say, he's got all the talent, but he's got a long way to go, especially in the mental aspect of this game. So um, I'm going to be looking for him to make a big statement. There's going to be a lot of eyes on this. If he comes back and gets one big knockout, you know, on this huge pay-per-view He's his, hes just got that natural star power that I honestly think—and it it would be criminal—but if Corey Sandhagen and Aljamain Sterling go in there and have a boring fight, and Cody Garbrandt goes in there and absolutely starches the sunset in the first round, I could totally oh, don't see them. say this. I swear to God, I I could totally see them throwing Cody right oh, back in Parker. the title mix. I Billy, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, Parker, they could use don't it. do this to us. <laughs> Alright, alright. We'll, uh, we'll take it easy tonight, but I'm telling you, it could happen. At 125 or 135, if he goes in here and just starches the Sun like he's going to be right back in the title mix. If Jose Aldo's getting a title fight, they could talk me into Cody Garbrandt getting a title fight.
0: I like Cody Garbrandt to win this fight. I would pick him as one of my best bets. If you had a few dollars that you never wanted to see again, I would put it down on Mr. Cody Garbrandt. And I'm going to take him by second round KO, but I think he gets on that mic afterwards and he calls for a 125 pound title shot after the Figueredo-Benavidez fight, and I think he gets it.
1: That's a smart play right there, because 135 right now is murderer's row, murderer's row. Um, If Cody could really make 125, I said this a couple weeks ago, he could run that division. He could run that division.
0: Here's Here, Cody Garbrandt, I know you listen to this podcast. I know you're number one fan of Parker's MMA show. Here's what you do. You knock out Rafael Sal on Saturday night. You get on that mic. You say, I'm in Vegas. We could go to the UFC PI right now, right after this, and you can see that I can make 125 safely, call the doctor, because I'm getting the UFC title shot at the flyweight division. Thanks a yeah. lot, Dana. 50 Gs, baby. Hang up the mic. That's it. Yeah. That's it. That's the call. You're in Las Vegas. If there's any question from the UFC, can Cody Garbrandt make this weight? Bring him to the PI. You have all the technology there. You have all your doctors there. You know exactly how much he has to weigh and what the makeup of his body has to be for him to make that weight safely. So bring him in, get it done, and then say the winner of the Benavidez-Figueredo fight is going to fight Cody Garbrandt for the flyweight title. Make flyweight great again.
1: Yeah, Ben, he's someone that could totally carry that division.
0: 100 totally. percent it is yeah. the, it is the fighter you need at flyweight to make people care about that weight class
1: yeah absolutely so huge huge weekend for cody here um all right let's move on this is i think both of us share the opinion this is a fight i'm most looking forward to on this fight on this card uh cory sanhagen you know rising star i think that dude's got a lot of upside um i explain him i think he's a cross between john jones and dominic cruz that's how highly I think of him, and then Aljamain Sterling, uh, Matt Serra, Ray Longo guy. He's been on a nice run, four and zero in his last four. Um, stylistically, this is a really really fun fight. Um, so jump into it. You talk a little bit about um, Aljo, and then I'll talk about Corey.
0: Yeah, I think the thing that Aljo, it, it, what he really has gone for him, he's so long for that bantamweight division. So. His kicks and his straight punches are really effective in these fights at at keeping guys at distance. And then on top of that, you know, he's got, you know, Matt Sarah Ray Longo, I believe he's a brown belt in jujitsu and, you know, collegiate wrestling. So, you know, he's a very well-rounded guy at this point, but his body type is so perfect for a lot of these choke submissions or, you know, he hit the Suloev stretch in Dallas, um... But he's so good at that, you know, he's kind of crafty submissions for for long limb people. But, you know, his kicks and his his straight punches are also really stellar. I mean, this is also a guy who, you know, the the only guy who's really, you know, definitively beat him, um, you know, on this kind of run that he's been having is Marlon Moraes And it was because Aljo had a lazy shot and Moraes was going to throw a kick, but you know, got stopped. Aljo basically ran his face right into his knee and got knocked out. So, you know, as long as he doesn't make mistakes, you know, it's hard to see anybody beating Aljamain Sterling at this point.
1: Yeah, and for Corey Sandhagen, I think he's just kind of a next, he's the next generation of MMA fighter. He's a guy that's been in the gym. I think he's been at um, Team Elevation since he was like 16 years old. You know, I think he came off the high school basketball team and basically just been training MMA since then Um, So, you know, he's got a very very unique Striking style. It's kind of a mix of Tony Ferguson John Jones Dominic Cruz. It's very awkward very hard to pin down and The dudes I mean he's hard to finish, you know, we saw him what was that fight? He got he got in a deep I think it was an arm bar and just fought it off for like three minutes and then eventually got out of it and just beat the guy to death I forget crazy. who he
0: fought, but the fight I think is so definitive for Corey Sandhagen is the John Lineker fight. Yeah. That's what I think really showcases like what Corey Sandhagen is so good at. He's impossible apart. to hit. He's impossible to hit.
1: Yeah. No, he's, he's very, very good. I think this matchup stylistically is very interesting. Um, I heard Corey on an interview today saying that, you know, he's not going to be staggered by Aljo's, you know kind of weird funky movements He, you know has a lifetime of kickboxing experience he was a national and world champion um in kickboxing organizations so he's seen you know weird unorthodox strikers um and there's something about cory sanhagen i think he's kind of on a different level mentally you just you hear him talk and the way he thinks about fighting and life and stuff i i don't know there's something about that guy that I think he's one or two fights away from becoming a big name and he's going to be really fun to watch for the next four to five years. So this is a very, very close fight. I I don't think we're going to get a finish. Um, I think it's going to be back and forth, you know, two rounds to one or, you know, split decision, but I'm going to take Corey Sanhagen. I think he's going to emerge out of this. It's going to be a very, very close decision, but I've got him winning by decision.
0: Yeah, I, I tend to agree with you. Um, in terms of this being a very close fight. I also think it's going to be a pretty technical fight. I don't think this is going to be like your back and forth brawl. I don't think this is going to be like, you know, the fight that the casual fans watching the pay-per-view will say like, oh my God, that was so awesome. I think this is really a, a chess match between two guys who are really smart, thoughtful martial artists. I mean, you know, the way you talk about Stan Hagen, I think Aljo is a lot the same way the way he thinks about martial arts and the way that he's thought about kind of developing his career. I think both of these guys are, you know, really tactical fighters who, um, you know, like you said, it's, or it's going to be a close fight. I'm going to take Aljo by decision. Um, you know, I, I, I don't have a great uh, grip on who I think is going to win. I just, I, if I had to pick, you know, Aljo against any random opponent or Corey Sandhang against any random opponent, I take Aljo at this point. But like you said, really close fight see a lot there's a lot to like about both guys they're really smart guys and you know i would not be surprised honestly if we saw this again with a lot higher stakes on the line uh um, on the road sometime yeah. in the future
1: yeah so i heard cory sanhagen on ariel's show today say that he was told this whoever wins this fight gets a winner of aldo versus peter yawn so you know hopefully that works out but we've seen crazier shit so um all right let's move on one of our f- favorite favorite fighters of the show um Sugar Sean making his return this week with crazy hair i don't know what the hell is going on
0: with his hair oh that's unbelievable the what's rainbow afro yeah it's i don't un- know what, i don't I, know what's going on there that's amazing i hope it turns into <laughs> rainbow cornrows
1: by saturday uh it definitely will for sure will um anyway sugar sean pulling probably his biggest name to date taking on former WEC champ Eddie Wineland. Um, this has got the makings to be a fun fight. I think Eddie Wineland's kind of a come forward, similar to Cody Garbrandt. Honestly, he kind of has that same style, you know, kind of bite his mouthpiece, come forward, and he's in a lot of fun fights. Um, for me, I think this is obviously the the biggest test that Sugar Sean's had so far. But everything that we've seen, I mean, from fight to fight, the dude just gets better, better, more confident. Um, he's got a calm about him, you know, kind of like. Corey Sandhagen, I think there's just something he's on another level than these guys right now.
0: Yes, um, he's high. They're both high, Parker, yeah. the whole
1: time. <laughs> They're all stoned. <laughs> They're very stoned.
0: <laughs> anyway, so, uh,
1: no, I, I don't know. But for Sugar Sean, I, I think he thrives. His his movement, his striking is unbelievable. He's very hard to hit. Um, his last fight was very impressive. He was very, very hard to hit. He seemed to control the, the range of the fight, control the pace of the fight the whole time. And if you miss against Sugar Sean, he's going to make you pay. And his finishing instincts are unbelievable. When he gets you hurt, he's going to put you away. So, yeah, that, that's kind of what I think about Sugar Sean. Tell us a little bit, you know, your thoughts on him and what do you think about Eddie?
0: I, I feel like they're putting Eddie out to pasture a little bit. Yeah. I mean, Eddie Wineland has been in this game a long time. You know, he's on, obviously a name that, you know, older fans of the sport will know, hardcore fans will know. Um, And I, I just, I don't see the route to victory for him. I mean, like you said, he's kind of a bite the mouthpiece fighter. I think, you know, in his last fight, we saw a little bit more of that defensive footwork. We saw a little bit more of him, you know, being a little bit more of a chess master, not taking as much damage. But, you know, is there any scenario where Eddie Wineland moves forward, bites his mouthpiece and tries to brawl with Sean O'Malley and doesn't get knocked out? Uh, I don't think so.
1: i don't think so so he's got to
0: stick and move and like that is that's so hard to do against sean i mean the thing that impressed me against jose quinones for sean o'malley is like the speed i mean the the just you know these spinning kicks that come out of nowhere these punch you know elbows and hooks and power punches that come out of nowhere that have no tell like i I just don't see how eddie wineland is gonna kind of crack that code and you know, I think, you know, if he's if he's to win, you have to make O'Malley miss. You have to be able to stick and move. I don't know how he does that against someone who's so long like Sean O'Malley. Um, I,
1: I think you know, Eddie he also he, has
0: to walk him down and get make the fight a brawl. And I don't think
1: Sugar Shawn's going to engage in a brawl. I think he's a lot smarter than that. He's going to keep his distance. And I just see him picking up picking Eddie Wineland apart, honestly.
0: I mean it kind of I mean it almost like reminds me at this point of you know he's not as decorated in kickboxing but I mean Sean O'Malley's a bit like Israel out of Sonia where it's like Yeah, he's got a me, similar style. If yeah. anyone's gonna beat if anyone's gonna beat Izzy in the UFC, it was gonna be early because now he's added years of wrestling to his, you know, decades of kickboxing. Sean is doing the same thing. Every fight that goes by, every camp that goes by, that guy's getting better and better at jujitsu and groundwork and wrestling to complement his unbelievable striking. And well, like, he, if he, he you do He had two years off, like basically two years off to just get better. And
1: that's all he's been doing. I, I just
0: don't... I don't see Eddie Wineland as the guy to beat him. No. Uh, just this version of Sean O'Malley. I, I think we're too far gone where Eddie's on the decline and Sean is on the rise.
1: Yeah, it's a good fight to get introduced Sean to the top 10 cuz I I think after this fight, I mean, he's he's in the top 10. Let me look at the rankings real quick. Hmm. Yeah, cuz Yeah, I think it's nothing but big fights after this for Yeah, you've got, starting at 10, we've got Sun Tao, then you've got Dominic Cruz, Cody Garbrandt, Munoz, Sanhagen, Aljamain Sterling, Peter Yan, Jose Aldo, Marlon Marias, and King Henry. So, I mean, maybe one more fight and then he's thrown in there with the Wolves. Sugar Sean's currently ranked at number 20. So, um, yeah. Yeah, this is a big spot for him and a big stage. You know, this is Sugar Sean's just like Cody Garbrandt. He's a natural born star and if he goes in there and starches eddie wineland to open up the main event of this you know gigantic pay-per-view that's that's going to be huge for him and his career all right so that is ufc 250 going down this weekend saturday at the apex i'm excited billy anything you want to add to ufc 250
0: no i think you know it, the main event uh you know is not Uh, not probably not the matchup that, you know, makes your hair tickle and things like that. But the card is surprisingly deep. There's a lot of great guys, um, you know, shout out to Alonzo Menafield fighting on this local guy, Dallas. So, um, you know, it's, it's really got a lot of intriguing matchups top to bottom, even if it doesn't have that one fight that pops out at you. So I'm pretty excited to watch this card. Yeah, no, absolutely. All right. Let's. We got one more topic to cover, and then we will get out of here. It'll be a
1: relatively short week for us. But um, John Jones, Dana White, going to war <laughs> against each other. Um, yeah, this is. It got pretty ugly over the last week. Um, you know, John Jones basically said giving up his belt. He's moving on. He wants to be released from his contract. Um, very similar in my eyes to kind of went, went on with um, Henry Cejudo you know bottom line guys are really really good and they're they don't think they're getting what they're worth so break us down kind of the timeline of what's been going on over the last week and kind of where we're at right now
0: yeah so last week we covered this in depth but john jones and francis and kind of go at it on twitter um and they want to book the fight and you know dana keeps saying you know they don't really want that. This fight's not going to happen, this, that, and the other thing. And the media is bugging him and saying, you know, we all want this fight. Why is it not going I think everyone,
1: everyone wants that fight.
0: Everyone, the world. Yeah, so Dana basically comes out and says, you know, John Jones asked for an absurd amount of money, and that's why we're not booking this fight. John comes out and says, I haven't asked for a single dollar amount. I have not asked for a specific dollar amount. Dana's lying. Dana comes out and says, I have the text messages to prove that John Jones wanted Deontay Wilder money. Um, John then goes on a tirade that he never asked for that. If you're gonna lie about me, just release me. You already said I'm the greatest. I'm sure there's a promoter out there who would be willing to pay me. Um, just let me out. You know, regardless of who you believe or who you care, uh, you know, who you like or whatever, I I mean, I, I think the the bottom line is like most promoters don't fight with the greatest of all time in their sport who they promote Parker. It's just not a thing that happens. Like, I mean, point blank period. Like you don't see, you know, Roger Goodell does not openly come after like Tom Brady. He doesn't come out and say Tom Brady, you know, is asking for too much money. You know, Adam Silver doesn't say that about LeBron. It's like, We go back to this like 2002 mindset of, you know, you guys are lucky to make any money at all. Like, this sport has billionaire owners. This sport makes hundreds of millions of dollars in revenue. It's on ESPN for God's sakes. Like, we're past those days. Like this idea of like, you know, he's asking for too much money. You know, he wants to be paid like a boxer. Blah 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 blah. I mean, it's ridiculous.
1: Yeah. No, I, no I, I totally agree. I just, I think the UFC is in a bad spot right now because to make gigantic fights like that, they don't, they don't have any gate for the foreseeable future. So
0: I, the gate is 12% of the UFC's revenue,
1: 12%. Yeah, but,
0: but that's they a lot when get, you've, got,
1: you've got to put on Conor McGregor fights, like you've got a budget somehow for paying Conor McGregor 30, $40 million dollars a year.
0: They can't get that lift or something close to it from the increased pay-per-view sales, the increased merch sales—you know—they have a whole fight island section of the UFC store for an island where nobody knows where it is. We've never had fights there. It's just Dana like talking about this, like you know, mythic fight island. They're selling thirty-five-dollar t-shirts in the UFC store, and you're telling me that they're hurting for money because they don't have ticket tickets in the arena. That's like, gonna be on, Dan-
1: That's that's Dana's excuse for sure. He's gonna use that as an excuse. What? What do you think John asked for, and what do you think is fair? What will, what will make him walk into that cage against Francis Ngannou at heavyweight?
0: I think, John, I think John said he wanted to make more money, and Dana said you make enough money. I think Dana is genuinely, as much as like the MMA world is really wants to see John Jones against Francis Ngannou, the sports world is not really talking about it the 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 people who talk about when Conor McGregor fought Cowboy, the people who used to talk about when Ronda Rousey fought, who used to who talk about John Jones against Daniel Cormier. They're not asking me personally about Francis Ngannou and John Jones. So if I'm Dana, I'm sitting there thinking to myself, if I guarantee this guy a certain amount of money, like I'm nervous I'm not going to get it back in pay-per-views. That's what he's nervous about. And I don't know what John asked for. I don't know what John wants. I know he said he makes about $5 million a fight. Um, you know, I think, I don't think he could command $30 million the way Deontay Wilder could for uh, the way that the Wilder Fury pay-per-view sold and the revenue share in boxing. Doesn't work the same as MMA. But, you know, to, to ask for a raise to go fight Francis Ngannou instead of a guy like Dominic Reyes or Thiago Santos I mean, I don't think that's outrageous. No, I, I think John's
1: in line. I, I think they will. They're going to have to pay him more. Maybe ten, ten to $12 million to get that fight. Because, I, I mean, for John, it is a huge risk. I mean, the guy's undefeated 10 years. You know, he's... I, I think he's unarguably the best fighter of all time. I, I think he's the GOAT. I think he's the man. Um, And to kind of put it all on the line to go fight this you know, just boogeyman that's been haunting the heavyweight division for the last three years. That's that's a lot to put on the line. And I think you want to be paid paid for that, paid accordingly. He's not going to get Deontay Wilder money. I think Deontay Wilder made $30 million last year. Um, the stat that I saw said John Jones has made, made seven. Does that sound right or no? That sounds right in terms yeah. of purses. Yeah. So explain a little bit how... How is the boxing pay structure different than the MMA pay structure, briefly?
0: I mean, just from, you know, very simply, this is a huge sweeping generalization. Don't come after me and kill me and say, you know, well, in this situation, blah, blah, blah. We don't fucking care. Like, I'm going to explain it to you simply. The, The boxing pay structure is really congregated at the top with the main event. The main event often makes many multiples more than every other fight on the card combined. It is much more congregated at the top with boxers. If you look at a mid a mid card UFC fighter is going to make a lot more than the mid card guy on the biggest boxing pay per views, the right. biggest ones. Like I think there was a, I remember there was a guy on the Mayweather McGregor pay per view who made two grand to fight on that card.
1: That's unbelievable. Well, I was looking at the numbers. So last year in boxing alone, Canelo Alvarez made ninety four million dollars. Anthony Joshua fifty five million, and Deontay Wilder.
0: 30. So that's their top three earners. Um, the and top... the, reason this, yeah. the reason this happens is because the UFC also acts as its own sanctioning body in terms of who is the champion. The UFC is both the promoter and the person who determines who the champion is. In boxing, you have four independent organizations who determine who the champion is. And then you have a separate promoter who is in charge of your fight. That promoter on your behalf negotiates a purse bid from each for each individual fight. So in boxing, rather than have like a set schedule of of arenas they're gonna visit or events they're gonna put on like the UFC does, boxing negotiates with arenas and negotiates with networks in order to get the best possible price for their fighter. It's a totally different model, and what we sacrifice with boxing is. We often, especially in the mid-card, your up-and-coming fighters, we, not, we do not get to see fighters fight in the, in the fights that we want to see that are competitive, that are equivalent guys, really until a belt is on the line. And that is the struggle with, with boxing. Whereas in the UFC, because UFC controls everything and basically has a monopoly over MMA, we get good fights on the middle card on the prelims of all these cards.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So, what
1: if anything down the road could be done to provide better pay to the MMA elite? Your John Jones, your Khabib's, your you know Amanda Nunes is compared to the elites of boxing because the the pay gap between the, say the top five boxers in the world and the top five MMA fighters in the world outside of Conor McGregor is. Astronomical, you know, the difference.
0: We need the Ali Act in MMA. So what the Ali Act basically says is the promoter does not determine the champion. Like the you are allowed to be part of a promoter. You control your career. It allows you to get, you know, these purse bids that I described. Whereas now in MMA, you know, you have no cross promotional fights unless the promotions agree. You don't have champion versus champion. You don't have any independent body ranking MMA fighters determine who is objectively the champion regardless of promoter. If we get the Ali Act in MMA, it's a step towards having that independent governing body that would allow people to both regard themselves as legitimate world champions in mixed martial arts and also get the fair bargaining power in the marketplace to get the fights that they want and get the purses that they want.
1: Okay. Uh, how, if at all, does this situation compare to what we think is going on with King Henry?
0: I think it's it's kind of similar in the sense that they're both using retirement as a bargaining chip for more money.
1: Right. Um,
0: the difference is John is saying like I want to go up. I want to take on the challenge that everyone's clamoring for. I want to give the UFC this big money fight, and you guys are the ones who are holding it back because you don't want to pay fair value for the risk that I'm taking with my health and my career. What Henry is doing is basically saying, I think I should be a bigger star than you're making me out to be. Mm -hmm. And so I'm not going to get paid what I want to get paid to step in this cage. I'm going to move on with my life. So it's different motivations, but the same tactic to accomplish the same goal.
1: Well, what I will say is, the bottom line is John Jones has a proven track record. I mean he's been one of the top UFC earners for the you know the last decade King Henry's really came to the fold in the last two years, so I think there's a difference there, and just you know you look at their track record over time John Jones to me completely deserves it, especially if he's going to move up and take a just dangerous, dangerous fight i mean this this cement if John goes in there and finishes Francis, I think. There's no one that's ever going to touch him in regards to you know who is a goat in MMA. That's like mythical shit if he goes in there and puts away Francis Ngannou. Um,
0: Here's right, the so, thing. If yeah. he finishes Ngannou or beats Ngannou, yeah. no one is ever going to get to that point where they were a 205-pounder who took out the scariest man in the world. Right. Like The people who you imagine beating Francis Ngannou are all heavyweights. Right. So they can't have the legacy that John had. It's like it's almost like an impossible set of circumstances that no one would be able to overcome.
1: Yeah. I I I think personally for John in his mind, I think he's got 3 to 4 fights left and he wants them all to be gigantic money fights. Um for me, I'm looking at him fighting Francis. Then I think he gets the winner of DC versus Deeping. Then I think he takes a super fight with Israel Adesanya and maybe one more fight to get his belt back at 205 if he ends up having to give that belt away. Um, and maybe that that belt is for him in Israel, the 205 championship. That's that's really the four fights I see for him. I don't see him really getting up for a Jan Blachowicz, a Don Reyes, a Tiago Santos, a Glover Teixeira. I, I just don't... Those aren't big money fights. I think John a Bought in his career we've talked about it we beat it to death but the dude has beat three generations of elite light heavyweight fighters you know convincingly and i think he he feels like he needs to cash out you know he's lost a lot of money over his career a lot of it you know is his fault the bottom line he's lost money in sponsorships he's lost big fights because he you know didn't have his private life in order Um, so I think he sees the next three to four years as his shot at redemption to make a shitload of money. And I think, I think the UFC and him will work something out and I still, uh, retain, I I think Francis is next. I think they've got to keep Francis busy and outside of a fight, you know, with Conor McGregor or Khabib. I think that's probably the biggest fight the UFC can make. I think that's a bigger fight than your heavyweight title with DC and Stipe. Um, so yeah, that's where I'm at on all that. I'm gonna ask you what what do you think is next for the light heavyweight division?
0: Oh, for light like, I was gonna say, I, I think John is gonna pull a GSP. I would not be surprised. I don't. Unless unless Dana comes with more money, I would not be surprised if John walked away for a little bit, relinquished the title, and then came back later and fought at heavyweight, maybe against Francis.
1: I don't think so, because I think if you get John Jones out of fighting his life's going to become turmoil. He's not, he's not all there between, between, he's going to, you know, his ears. It's going to be Mike Tyson. Shooting his, no, it's going to be, it's going to be outlaw shit. You're going to see a lot of outlaw shit from John Jones. Cause I think he's, he's got to have that structure in his life. If not, he's going to do some wild shit. So I, I think we have four to five more years of John Jones being the best fighter in the world. I don't think he walks away right now. Um, between him and Henry Cejudo, who do you feel more confident about fighting again? John Jones. Yeah, me too. Um, okay, so what's next for the light heavyweight division? It's obviously kind of in limbo right now until we figure out what's going on with John Jones. He hasn't re- relinquished his belt yet or given it up. Um, but if he did, what do you see going down at light heavyweight?
0: I think the, 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 Title fight becomes kind of obvious at that point. I do Yamblhovich against Don Moraes for the UFC light heavyweight title. Um, you know, I know you like this fight as well. Tiago Santos against Glover Teixeira. I think it's a perfect fight. Yeah. And I I like your idea of Anthony Smith against Corey Anderson. I think we we talked about that one last week. I I like that whether John gives up his belt or not. So, right. um I'm a, I'm totally on board with uh, with how you've diagrammed out the the lightweight division here or light heavyweight we're, division.
1: We're on the same page a lot this week, Billy. We're rolling. I know. All right, guys. Um, that's an hour. Billy, we, we stuck to an hour. Very, very professional of us again for the second week in a row. Um, everyone, thank you for tuning in. We'll do another segment later on this week. We're going to be introducing a new segment. That's going to be a little bit of a flashback in MMA history. We're going to try to do that once to twice a month. Uh, Just kind of recap old fights, talk about the significance, et cetera. It should be a fun segment. Um, So we'll be back this week doing that. Then we'll be back next week to break down this card and look forward to future cards. Until then, everyone stay safe. Don't do anything crazy. Love your neighbor. Be friendly. Just keep living. Everyone keep living. Love and kindness. Love and kindness. That's my message this week.
0: Yeah, all about all about love this week, baby. Um, uh, you know, can't wait for this. Can't wait for this card on on Saturday, and uh, you know, pretty soon here we're we're gonna get right back uh, right back to um, you know some 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 sense of normalcy and some sense of healing. And you know, I think uh, you know take some time out of your day on Saturday, watch some fights, and and forget about the turmoil in the world.
1: The Sugar Sean Show is back. <laughs> Signing off, everyone. Thank you for tuning in. Like, share, subscribe, do all those cool things. Me and Billy will keep bringing the heat. All right. Until next time, everyone. Adios. See you later, Billy. Thanks for listening
0: to Parker's MMA Show. Take a moment to rate and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts and visit parkerkeensmmashow.podbean.com for additional information on Parker and to stay up to date on the latest drama in the fight world. For more information and important links about today's episode, check out the show notes.